Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Happy to have you all here. So long story short, my name's Keegan. I started a company, Canlytics, spent a little bit of time in the cannabis space, reaching data. My background is in statistics. And so I was thinking, well, this is something that I know a bit about. So why not get together with some other knowledgeable people, data scientists, cannabis operators, regulators, you name it, and see if we can use statistics to help advance the cannabis industry. So that's where I'm coming from. And this is basically a round table for us all to get together, talk about what's on our minds, what's pressing, what we want to accomplish, how we think data science can help us, any pressing research questions we may have. And then I'm always happy to share my research endeavors and ideas with you. Always open to hear feedback because your feedback is how improvement happens. And then if you have any cool ideas or research endeavors, then I'm always happy to hear about those too. Just, you know, so we can keep bouncing ideas off of each other. So that's enough about me. I'll share with you some cool statistics here today, cannabis related. Before we get to that, just want to give everybody a chance just to say, hey, a bunch of new faces today. So you don't have to, but if you want, you know, spend anywhere from, you know, 30 seconds to a couple minutes talking about maybe, you know, your background or what you hope to get out of applying data science to cannabis. So next, next. Good to meet you. What are you interested in? What do you hope to learn here in 2023? Um, well, uh, I was involved in cannabis growing for about four years. And uh, basically, I'm interested, you know, how the business will, will go further in uh, 2023, you know, because we all know what is now happening and people are struggling and how data analytics can help uh, people you know achieve their goals i guess uh, so, uh, I, I, I love it and i love your optimism right and then just mute me while while i talk just there was a little bit of feedback there so long story short is i love your optimism because yes you pointed out there's a problem at hand but there is ways to fix it. And how do we start? Let's just start by any solution. Let's just start thinking of ideas. It doesn't have to be the best idea in the world, but it can be a starting point. So as you said, there's some companies that are struggling. We looked at the survival rate of cannabis companies, and it varies by the type of business, say if you're a retailer, processor, or cultivator. But on average, cannabis companies weren't having a lifespan much longer than a year on average, which is not an encouraging sight. It may be comparable to, say, the restaurant industry, but people are out there trying to start long-term companies. They want to have successful cultivations. They want to have successful retail establishments, successful processing. So exactly. So how can we alleviate some of uh, some of the burdens? Well, maybe statistics can help. So we'll talk about how we can get back to the basics today. So real cool things coming up. So just to once again give everybody a chance to say hey. Noah, good to meet you. Um, we'd love to hear about your area that you're interested in. Yeah. Hi. Um. Good to meet everyone. Um. Yeah. I just found this meetup uh, a few days ago thought it'd be really interesting i just uh graduated from a degree in computer science uh with a data science emphasis um still was kind of going around looking for work i just relocated to the portland area and i don't know i'm just i'm really passionate about uh, cannabis and i've you know spent some time uh growing my own cannabis and i'm really interested in some of the applications of using like reinforcement learning to improve uh growth and that kind of thing and i'm also interested in using like large language models to um, kind of work out some of the effects of cannabis on like different people um, i think there's some really interesting application there and some holes that i think um, consumers could benefit from kind of understanding other people's experience with like certain strains and that kind of thing um but yeah i'm mainly just here to just kind of hear what i, I didn't even know there was like a field of analytics within cannabis so it's it's exciting to to see that there are people um 
working here and I'm just I'm just here to here to learn. So I'll give you a little taste of everything. So of course I've got a lot of enthusiasm for this area. So I think there's a lot of value to be added by applying data science to cannabis. Hence why I started Canlytics. Just to show the other side, data science is essentially a bleeding edge field. So it's really new. And so it can be difficult to convince people of the value. That's part of the one of the difficulties and a lot of what analytics companies do is talk to people and try to say, try to essentially convince them that the analytics are in fact valuable. Um, I guess don't want to to you know missell anything, but I I think they are there there. I think it's just asymmetric information. Um. So so anywho, there is is a little bit of an uphill battle. But in my opinion, there's a lot of value to be added. The subjects you're talking about are exactly what people are interested in. Of course, on the retail side, especially since the medical industry is, what, how do you say, they're, they can't wait to dip their toes in. Um, they're giddy to dip their toes in. Um, and of course, why? Because they're interested in potential medical effects. And this is a lot of the talk on the town on the retail side. Another thing you raised is, well, what about the the home growers? And this was something that was neglected for a long time. The reason being in a lot of states, for example, Washington State, Washington State is still hesitant to permit home grow as say Massachusetts has because they're worried about diversion. I don't know how legitimate of a claim that is, but I was thinking that analytics could be something that home growers could find quite useful. And I've encouraged meetup members in the past that this is something that I I think people have dabbled in, but once again, you can always have a fresh take on it. Essentially, home grow analytics. And I don't know if it's just the material that I search for, but I see a lot of people doing, you know, hydroponic setups. And I wouldn't be surprised if at home hydroponic farming could be a thing in the future. But once again, bleeding edge, but you're well positioned. So so I'm kind of rambling. If you have any more thoughts, feel free to chime in. And then as I continue to think about all your cool ideas, Noah, Michelle, welcome to the group. Happy to have you. We'd love to hear about what you're particularly interested in. That way we can make to make sure to touch on your interests. Sure. Hi. Um, keeping my camera turned off because I tend to get up and move around a lot. But um, like Noah, I kind of uh, just stumbled upon the meetup a few days ago. I'm uh, a math teacher who's actually, I'm not a math teacher anymore, but I'm transferring, transitioning into data analysis. And as I've been looking for projects to do and things like that, um, one of the things on my list was the cannabis industry. And I have a gajillion questions from not only the business aspect, but also, you know, how it's um, affecting society, you know, benefiting, I think probably benefiting most, but I would like to, to see the data on that for, you know, just other, you know, social ailments and mental um, struggles and that sort of thing, depression. I deal with depression, um, but most of all, Cannabis has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I grew up in the 70s with a hippie dad. He grew it on the roof of our apartment in New York. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I just I just thought it was a really interesting way that I could maybe develop a project for my portfolio as well. I love it, Michelle. And you attended on the perfect day. Everything that you raised or essentially exactly what we're touching on. So first off, math. Coincidentally, we actually have a fun math or statistical exercise today. Going back to the 70s, we're actually going to hit on some real cool history today, um, which is tangentially related to, to growing on rooftops. Um, and we'll get more into that next week. And then the, the final thing is, and I'll get to this more, it relates to the insight of the day. 
And I'll sort of tease that there's sort of a big takeaway at the end of uh, today, statistical, uh, a statistical insight. So I'll tease that, but that's all coming up. So you attended on the perfect day. Now, Isaac, happy to see you today. I love that you made it to the morning. So hopefully this works out well for you. We're doing, and the final thing is we're gonna be working on a lot of projects. So this is essentially the, we're going into the third year of the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. The first year was a lot of data wrangling. So we were just trying to find what are all the cannabis data sources? What are all the data points? How can we get them? That was a lot of what the first year was. The second year, we laid out all of the statistical tools that we'll be using. So we started to lay out model after model. We have about 30 solid models that we can pull from. And then we began to see how we could apply those in the cannabis space. Now this year, we've got the data, we've got our statistical tools, and now it's time to finally embark on interesting projects. And so that's why it's all hands on deck. So if any of you, Michelle, Noah, Mac, Isaac, are looking for projects, feel free to, to get in touch because I'm actually starting to work with this group, Cannabis Data, and we're just wrangling data and statistics. And there's a lot of issues, open source project. So feel free to see if there's any way that that could suit your fancy and you could get some value out of that. Um, so, so anywho, um, before I continue rambling on, Isaac, any cool projects that you're interested in tackling in this coming year? Uh. Well, one thing uh, that I'm interested in is uh, lab fraud. Um, it's uh, um, so um, last year, well, end of last year, I used uh, I tried to use Benford to do some uh, detection, and uh, also uh, last week I plotted out the microbial results from Washington, and I noticed a strange uh, decrease of detections around the state regulatory limit. So that seems uh, pretty fishy to me. And I uh, perhaps I'll dig into that a little bit more. And uh, also I found a pretty good uh, test. It's called Mercury Density Test. And, and it it's like, uh, well, so, so one method for uh for detection or for uh, just in general uh measurement around one intervention is called dis is called discontinuity design and is that there is a uh, you are basically working around a ball of data around one single point and you're trying to see if the means are different and this uh, method called McCree's density test allows you to do that on a histogram, say of a normal distribution. And you can use that to measure if there is a uh, gap of difference of whatever mean or standard deviation of a uh, uh, normal distribution to uh, detect if, if it's really off. So that seems pretty promising method. So uh, yeah. I love it, Isaac, and I love that you bring this topic up today because once again, it is the exact topic at hand, lab results and statistical distributions. And if you've got time, I'll be attending. There is a quality control meeting that's open to the public in Washington State tomorrow. And these meetings, there's often a lot of people in the industry there, right? There'll be representatives from the labs and the licensees, but very few times do you see people from the public. So if you were able to attend, that would be a, a whole new perspective. And as you mentioned, and as this was sort of the topic last week, there's all the, of course, there's a lot of talk about, you know, THC and CBD. There's a lot of natural variation there too. And like you said, of course, we do want to identify any fraud. However, do we only want to, to look at those analytes? And as we were pointing out last week, you know, moisture and water activity, we're looking a little odd. 
and I kind of messed up my Benford's analysis, I realized. So I'm, I'm happy that, that you repeated it. And so the moisture and water activity could use another look. And then as you said, the microbes and the mycotoxins, especially the mycotoxins, could potentially use another look. Because they may have changed the, the method in Washington state. I need to follow it a bit more closely, but as you, I'm sure you know, there's multiple ways that you can screen for mycotoxins. From my understanding, you can use what's called plating, which I think takes maybe 24 to 48 hours and maybe isn't as precise as one may hope. And then I think people may be moving more towards testing for mycotoxins on a mass spec, which is faster because I think you can run maybe a mass spec run maybe in, in under an hour, but it's more expensive because you have to have a mass spec. You have to have somebody that can run a mass spec, and then you can have to have somebody that can analyze the results. So it's a bit more complicated. Um, so it's interesting that you noted that, and so it's worth investigating a bit more because you know the the labs and the licensees they have their priorities about what they want to talk about, which will probably be lab testing is expensive. However, you know consumers have their concerns, and so if you know we see say mycotoxins is being measured oddly, that's a good point to bring up. So I, so I like it. Um, so just to go ahead and dive in to the topic at hand. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and show you. I got in a hold of this book. I think you can get it for fairly cheap. This is Sense Amelia Tips, compiled by Tom Alexander. I got a used copy, um, I think for under 10 bucks or so. so you may be able to find a copy. This is a, su su a surprisingly good find. So I was expecting just a, just you know just your typical news journal, but there's actually a, a, a good bit of substance to this. This was published in 1988. So that's I don't know when in 1988, but that's going on 35 years ago. Um, and that was when it was compiled. So those could have been written before then. So this could be over 35 years old. And so let's see if there's any nuggets of wisdom in there. Um, Sorry, so, could you repeat the title again? I couldn't see the title clearly. Sure. And I'll uh, make all these links available. But it's since S-I-N-S-E Milla M-I-L-L-A Tips. And so Sense Amelia is, I think it uh, may even be a, a Spanish name. That's when they, originally, when people cultivated cannabis, you would just have one field where you would just have female and male plants. Well, the male plants would pollinate the female plants and you'd get flowers filled with seeds. And so, that's why, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, sublime song, you know, pick out the seeds and stems. So, you know, people used to have, have to pick out the seeds because they just grew it all together. Um, and then, you know, in the seventies or so, definitely by the eighties, people would realize if you are solely interested in the flower bud, then if you pick out the male flowers, then you, it's more efficient. You're using water and nutrients and light and space only for the productive female plants, and they don't get pollinated by the males. So that there's um, cannabis is an odd plant, so there's still maybe an odd seed or two, but there's fewer seeds. Um, so that's Sensimelia, the technique um, that became more and more popular. Um, so so anywho, that, that's the, the name of the article. And it was, this journal was put together by this interesting character, Tom Alexander, who was growing cannabis in Oregon. And I think, uh, you know, they, 
they uh, you know confiscated his crop and I think he was you know uh, facing um, some, some criminal criminal penalties I think the the case ended up getting dropped for one reason or the other I do believe but then after that he just went into publishing and so he just talked with a bunch of cultivators growers and compiled a lot of techniques so it's a real interesting look into to the past here but enough of me rambling on let me actually show you what's valuable about this okay too cool so this is a question that's come up multiple times and isaac you may have brought this up at one point and i think it's pretty well known but i wanted to go back to you know the source and really try to figure out you know some of the early research that's been done on this so okay so what right we see a lot of variation in thc and cbd and so the question is well is that because of environmental factors and so that would be are some cultivators better than others do some people have brighter lights do some people have more nutrients do pe some people have less disease so on and so forth so those would be environmental factors and then of course people are interested about breeding and so here we get to the math um so i'll blast you with some of the math and statistics and then we'll get to to the takeaways so sig sigma oh i <laughs> This is a typo. This should be a sigma squared. Um, but this is a measure of variance. Um, so it's a, a measure of central tendency, right? So we know about the mean. So if you've got a bunch of observations, right, you can calculate the average, but then you can also calculate how much do each of these vary from each other. So that's your variance. And so if we're interested in about, say, THC, well, presumably there's some variance in THC that comes from genetics. So if you have a good seed, maybe that leads a certain amount to your variance in THC, as well as the environment. So if you have dim lights, one would expect your THC may be a little lower. Likewise, if you've got poor quality soil, poor nutrients, poor airflow, odd temperatures, all of these things are your environment and could lead to different THC concentrations. And as we've seen, people have, we've observed people selecting different breeds of cannabis to go in two quite different directions right you see people breeding for high thc and then you also see people breeding for low thc people trying to grow the cbd hemp who are trying to stay under the 0.3 percent thc limit okay so you've got genetic variants and environmental variants and so we're going to define heterotability of a trait as the amount of total variance so the total variance we see is the genetic variance plus the environmental variance so we want to know what percentage of all the variance that we see comes from genetics is it a small amount or is it a large amount this is really uh, the crux because if genetics doesn't matter then you just want to get your environment as good as possible likewise if genetic variance if that represents a large proportion of heritability then you'd be more interested in focusing on breeding and you know less focused on environment so can we disentangle these two also, uh, 
just pointing this out, uh, this was written by Chief Seven Turtles. And the turtle is a a symbol for, for canalytics because we're sort of the, the turtle over the hair. And so I just thought this was just a funny coincidence. Anywho, what are some of the key points? And then I'll get to the actual data. So some populations have more genetic variation than others. Likewise, certain traits are more susceptible to genetic variation than others. Of course, environmental variation depends on your conditions. The example given in Sensimilia tips was your environmental variation will be different outdoors than it will be in a greenhouse. Um, I need to think a little a little bit harder on that. Um, but but the conditions matter, and it also the trait matters as well. So so those two are pretty pretty self pretty straightforward and logical those make sense okay well why am i droning on about this well heritability is actually a difficult a difficult topic to study and it's normally infeasible what's interesting about cannabis is it's often grown with clones so people will clone cannabis. It's pretty typical. Well, when you make a clone, there's going to be no genetic variation. All you'll have in the clone is environmental variation. So the idea is you can see the total variation in a crop of plants and you can subtract away the variation from the clones and what you're left with is the genetic variation and then once you're left with the genetic variation and you know the environmental variation you can calculate the heritability so the long story short is heritability can range from zero, something doesn't inherit, to one. It's going to, um, the genetics is going to explain 100% of the variability in that trait. So we're interested in, does is the heritability of THC, is that closer to zero or is it closer to one? Um, so, so that is sort of the question at hand. And if this is getting a little abstract, then, then don't worry because we're, we're going to get our hands on the data. And I should have committed this to the repository uh, beforehand, but I'll, uh, I'll commit this right afterwards. So in this book, Sensimilia Tips, there's a table where they have two different plots, plot one and plot two. Plot, and in each plot, they have some plants that were grown from seed and some plants that were grown from clone. And they were measuring the THC concentration of these plants. And so this is, I was saying last week that I think Cultivators have been keeping track of THC concentration for a long time. Well, it turns out they've been keeping track of THC concentration perhaps for more than 35 years, which is wild to think about. Um, so let's actually, oops, oops, let's not get, let's not give everything away. Um, okay, so. First things first, just going to read this data in and just to show you this is, you know, the all the data that we were just, oops, just looking at in Excel. Just going to print it out to the console um, and then we'll essentially repeat 
the analysis done in Sensimilia tips. Um, second here. Okay, there we are. And I wasn't sure about if I could just, you know, take a picture of their table or not. Uh, I decided not to, um, but uh, maybe it would have been a, a helpful benchmark. But basically the idea, well, an idea of the scientific process is reproducibility. And for statistics, this becomes really interesting. It's actually non-trivial to repeat someone's statistics. And it's often a good exercise. So if somebody publishes a paper, to go back through, get a hold of the data, and try to follow the steps they took to reproduce the same statistics. Um, because you'll have to follow through all the assumptions. And it, it can be difficult. So anywho, we've got this data here. Well, let's start looking at it. So we've got seeds and clones. So if we just look at the seeds, so these were cannabis grown in two different plots by seed. And so as you can see, back in 1988, you know, you've got a, you know, an average THC of around 8%. So the average THC has more than doubled in the past 35 years. So that's an observation. Next, we can look at the distribution of clones. And so these are clones in two different plots. And this would be environmental variance between these two different plots, right? There's no genetic variation between clones. So any variation in the distribution, so any variation in variation, will be explainable from environment. So if you did this same study that um, Chief, Seven Turtle, Chief Seven Turtles conducted, then you would see, oh, plot one is the better plot for growing clones than plot two. And that's purely environmental. Cool. So now, if you plot the seeds versus the clones, it becomes quite interesting. So here you see the distribution of plants grown from seeds, distribution grown by clones. What's readily apparent, the variance is much smaller for plants grown from clone than from plants grown from seed. The mean is lower, but that may just be the clone that was selected. So for example, if you just selected a random plant from this distribution as your clone, maybe they selected a plant from a seed from this end of the distribution. Cool. So now we can actually calculate heritability the same way that Tom Alexander did. So the way they did, they actually used standard deviation. Um, so I'll show you this with standard deviation and then uh, I'll go back to, um, to variance. But, but basically, you know, if you look at the, and they also calculated variance grouped by plot. And so this is what this is what's so interesting about reproducing statistics because all they had all they have is a table with the means and variances in their calculations um, and so it takes reproducing it to realize that okay when they calculated the standard deviation they did this by grouping it by plot and then the, um, they took the average so if you so basically, they took the standard deviation of these two plots, which is, it's odd that it's it's the same, but it is. Um, just, it could be a, a, a 
just the, the nature of numbers. But anywho, you've got the standard deviation of clones. And as you can see, the standard deviation of seeds is higher. So basically, what the argument is all of the variation from clones is environmental variation. So that's how you get the environmental variation of 0.79% THC. And then they say, okay, well, what's the phenotypic variation? And so the phenotypic variation, well, that's environment plus genetics. And so they say, oh, we'll just get that by taking the standard deviation of the seeds. And we'll call that our phenotypic variation, because that's going to be all of the environment variation that the seeds experienced, plus the genetic variation of the seeds. Cool. And so then they say, oh, well, we can just calculate the genetic variation by subtracting the environmental variation from the phenotypic variation. Cool. So now they're saying the genetic variation is around 1.27% THC. And so you can now get a measure of heritability. Drum roll. So we're interested in on a scale of zero to one how heritable is thc dun, 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 dun. chief seven turtles calculated the heritability of cannabis th or thc in cannabis to be approximately 0.62 or 62 percent which is quite high so this would indicate that THC is, I guess you could argue what strongly is, but in my opinion is strongly heritable. And so this would explain, okay, people figured out in 1988 that you can control variation in THC through genetics. So, for example, going back to, to our chart here, this now explains how people have been able to grow both CBD, low THC cannabis, and high THC cannabis, because it's strongly heritable. So, for example, this clone would actually be a good selection if you wanted to move in the low THC direction. And so the idea would be you'd grow a bunch of seeds and you, you know, you would pick one from the low end of the distribution and, you know, use that one for breeding and just repeat the process over and over again and try to push this distribution towards zero. Conversely, if you're interested in high THC, you would pick, you would, you would breed the plants that tested at high concentrations and, um, you know, just keep doing selective breeding. Quick note, technically the formula for, for heritability is variance. And for, I don't know why, for whatever reason, they chose to use standard deviation. I don't know if this is just because statistics has kind of evolved or people's understanding of statistics have kind of evolved in the past 35 years. I mean, statistics as a whole is a relatively new study in the grand scheme of things, you know. Um, you know, rigorously, maybe a past 150 years or so, um, or not rigorously, that's maybe when it began, and then, you know, maybe more rigorously, maybe, I, I don't know where, like, I'll quit conjecturing. But long story short is, um, if we did, say, use variance, then we would get a higher measure of heritability. So if we used variance, we would 
measure heritability at almost 85%, which seems too high to me. But I also want to point out a couple shortcomings real quick. One, the this is a statistic. So our estimation of heritability will become better as sample size increases. So here we have a sample size of 20 plants grown by seed and 20 plants grown by clone. Um, so we could potentially use a, a bigger sample size. Also, what the author points out, measurement matters. And they say that you can view measurement error as an environmental variation, essentially. But they stress that you really want to measure as accurately and as consistently as possible. Um, and then also, you know, if you really do want to try to disentangle environmental variation from genetic variation, then you want to try to have as uniform an environment as possible. But this was just a short, quick exercise, just demonstrating how you can measure heritability of traits in cannabis. And remember, this will vary by population. So that means it may vary by strain population different it, i mean it, it's not out of the realm you'd have to do some investigation but potentially different strains may have different rates of heritability um different traits may have different rates of heritability so for example cbd may have a different rate of heritability than thc and there's other factors people select for so right out of the gate they they mentioned people are selecting for for yield for height um how many days it takes the flower there's many factors that people are selecting for um so you'll have to look at heritability for each one but this this creates a or this lays the framework for how you can apply statistics to 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 be a better breeder. So this could apply to home growers or, or large scale large scale cultivators. So I've been rambling on long, long enough. I'll let you all ask any questions and a teaser for next week. This is what I was going to do this week, but once again, lots of material. And so wanted to take this quick tangent on heritability. For next week, I'll see if you can't find the author of this quote or the person who this can be attributed. But in relation to statistics, the idea is you don't want to try too hard. If you do, you may get spurious causation. And so, and in fact, Right. You know, obviously, I started a company, Canlytics, so we're interested in the cannabis space. As you're researching, say, cannabis, it, it would be easy and you would have to be careful not to let your biases take over. So, for example, if you really, really did want to see a medicinal effect from CBD, that may bias your research. And so if there is just an, a readily apparent effect from CBD, then there may be something there that's worth looking at more. But the idea is if there's not just a just real readily available signal or noise, you may want to be cautious. It doesn't mean don't proceed. You just may want to be cautious about biases, spurious causation, um, overfitting your model. And so, for example, basically, you know, the lesson from today, how could we apply that lesson today? Well, 
if you're like you really wanted to disentangle the environmental variation it like you know there may be something going on between plot one and plot two but it's not it may be it may be a stretch however it does seem readily apparent that there's differences in variance between seeds and clones you've got a small sample size 40 total observations and already you can start to see a difference between the two so that may warrant further investigation and um, so so that's just sort of a, a a word of caution as you're using statistics and so if you're interested in this then you know try to find the the author behind this because we'll continue to or i'll at least continue to talk about this um and then if you're not interested then please let me know wait what sparks your interest as we as we continue to search for the you know genetic histories behind some of these cannabis streams anywho that's that's what I had to to share with you all today, my latest journey. So my main project is compiling cannabis data from Washington State. And so Michelle, this may be of direct relevance to you because you could start to do real interesting statistics um, as far as you know population level uh, statistics goes there. So. Lots of lots more cool data coming down the pipelines, but real quick, does anyone have any thoughts, comments, questions from the material on heritability? Yeah, I, I, I can go first. I mean, I'm just wondering if there's anything we can do with a more modern data, uh, because that, uh, and also the environmental variable, uh, I mean, itself could be, different so uh, I, I, i'm just thinking how the experiment can be improved uh, with modern data to get a better uh, measurement uh, maybe we can even get a constant that's applied to most cannabis plants as one number say 0 0.7 and then that number as an anchor point will allow us to do more analysis but uh yeah but uh, yeah I agree 100%, Isaac. And in fact, I would encourage you to, and I'm going to be studying up a lot more on heritability now that I've figured this out. I think there are more sophisticated ways to estimate heritability. And I think what you're talking about is more of a regression-based approach where you'll want to control for more factors and, of course, increase your sample size. So I think the, the regression-based approach maybe the modern day approach. Remember, this was, this was research that was done 35 years ago. So I think there's you know, more sophisticated readily. And I mean, for all we know, they may have been calculating these means and variances uh, with pen and paper. So we can do a lot, lot better job today. So for example, just loading the data into Python, right? I'm able to, to do all these groupings and calculate means and variances and standard deviations really quickly. So it was really quick for me to, to figure out, oh, they use standard deviation and not variance. So we, we can work quicker, work smarter. I think it's just, just a starting point. And then the other part you raised about the environment, I think that does need to be taken into consideration because the way they went about identifying the environmental variation and then subtracting it from the variation of the seeds, it seems a little ad hoc. So this may be an ad hoc method for, for or estimating heritability. So, so this may be a starting point just to, to just get an idea of, okay, it, it, is heritability closer to zero or maybe closer to one? So this got us an idea that, okay, there may be a, a significant amount of heritability there. And so, as you said, I think a more sophisticated analysis is needed. People are gonna wanna see a lot more controls of environment. That's a big criticism that people give 
to cannabis research. It's it's an it's inevitable. We've talked about this before. You can't control for every factor under the sun, right? If you controlled for everything and you did it in Massachusetts, someone will say, "Well, why didn't you do that same study in Washington State?" You know, the, the air pressure is different, or, or so you know, so on and so forth. So there, there's always going to be something, but but as you said, just the more things you control for, the better. But that gets us to sort of the lesson of the day. The more things you control for, it should get you an a more accurate and consistent measure. But hopefully, it's still relatively apparent, um, even if you say make a mistake or two, um, or don't control for everything. I love it, Isaac. And so I'll continue thinking about this. The main thing is just working on the Washington State data was going to almost had a hold of some Oregon data that's still in the um, coming down the pipeline. Um, so that may come for you, as well as some Massachusetts and Florida data. So hopefully those things come. Okay, what about now? <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm, okay. I, I can hear you. Love it. So okay. what's the question? Um, I'm talking about, uh, from a grower's perspective, uh, about these THC levels. So basically, uh, what I know that uh, I was growing the same strain uh, outdoor, uh, greenhouse, and indoor, and it was giving... Uh, very different uh, levels of THC, you know. So the the environment uh, variance is very important in growing. Um, also, uh, the seeds uh, were growing faster than the clones. I don't know why they develop faster. They just have looks like they have the better genetics than the clones, and that's what I observed. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. One thing I want to hit on that I don't know if a lot of people mention, but this has come across my research. From my understanding, seeds have tap roots, whereas clones do not. And to me, that makes it seem like that would have a big impact. Um, it seems to me like the, the tap root would be important. So that maybe that may explain why it would grow faster. Technically, the clones are genetically identical to where they were cut from so if they you know did grow differently one could maybe chalk that up to i mean it may be structural right they, they don't have a tap root also there may be environment there also uh, also it depends you know on a mother plant uh, where you cut uh, the clones if you cut more than 30% of the plant, uh, they say, and I also noticed that the clones can um, um, can become hemophrodites. So they can, you know, just change, you know. But also, um, uh, we didn't talk about the nutrients about, uh, uh, that you put into the soil. So the, that's also very important, you know, for the plant to develop THC. You know, and also timing when you put uh, certain things, you know, is it like, uh, um, um, I don't know, phosphorus or uh, calcium or, you know, things like that. That's also very important. A hundred percent. This is the tricky part. Because, right, there's, there's variation in THC and obviously there's some genetics, right? That's how people have been able to, to breed over time. But even if, say, the genetics is 60%, that's still 40% or give or take more or less of variation that's explained from your environment. And that will be things like whether it was indoor or outdoor, because those are two different environments. How much nutrients the plant gets, that's an environmental factor. So those are all will all affect the environmental variation and this matters when you're cultivating right because you want to grow top-notch flower the idea is and, and this i mean th this may be i mean this is just a, a simple fact but that you may already know but essentially right it may be obvious it, you can't just select by clone to get better and better cannabis because it's going to be genetically identical so basically the point was being in order to basically increase the THC levels over time, 
you would have to approach that genetically. It, you wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible to just select clones that test higher and higher percentages. And then this is sort of the interesting thing is the seed may have genetics to produce high THC, but say because of the environment, it may just have a lot of environmental variation. So it doesn't look like a high THC plant. And this is my argument about how, how California may have such prized genetics. Because I think they're growing outside by seed. So these seeds in the plants, they may not grow into the best plants ever, right? They may be getting eaten by bugs and they're subject to all the elements. But people are able to then select the better and better variety. So if you then say, yeah, you took that clone, you, you took a clone from those plants, and you went and grew it in a warehouse, you may be able to get higher THC on average, but over time, the people outdoor selecting and selecting and selecting will be able to increase the average. And, and then Noah, you had a question? Yeah, just kind of related to that. Have there been any studies yet on like epigenetic factors? Um, I'm curious if that's something that is even in effect here, or I don't know. Just, just curious. Okay. So this is bleeding edge. I can only report back hearsay. So as you may have known, LinkedIn is a good place for cannabis people in the cannabis industry to social uh, yeah, to socialize. And I've actually heard talk on the town that yes, potentially cannabis may be especially uh, susceptible. To, to epigenetic change, but this is this is really new frontier, and I don't know how much I want to stray into it because I'm a super novice. Uh, I wouldn't even consider myself a biologist or a chemist. So, actual biologists and chemists would probably frown upon upon me. So I kind of want to stay as humble as possible. But Michelle, you had a thought or question. Yeah, I was just wondering whether or not, given that so many states are legalizing cannabis now, whether or not commercial growers, I know that they're tracking their THC levels and their CBD levels and CBD levels. Um, are they required to report that data so that there's some sort of database that can be accessed? Yes. In what we have that data for you, the entire population in Washington state. Uh, and so that's what's real cool. It, we may even be able to parse out if things came from clone or seed. I don't know how well that's recorded in the traceability system, but we do have plant data. And right, all they were keeping track of were, were THC levels, and we have those. So we've got THC levels, CBD levels, and we may even have the propagation. Um, we just may not have the genetic lineage. So there is maybe be work we can do with data that we have at this time um, in Washington state. So let's let's keep talking about this because I think there is work we can do, Michelle. No, Noah, further thoughts? Yeah, just following up on what uh, Michelle said, um, I've heard anecdotal um, information about some of those THC testing, at least the ones reported on the label, and that they can be dubious. How do we know that these numbers that are being reported by the um, like the growers or the cultivars are accurate and aren't just kind of being, you know, you know, torturing the numbers to kind of get high THC or low THC or whatever? Perfectly reasonable question. And the short answer is that's measurement error. So this is specifically you know, even way back, I keep, I keep pointing this out, but it just shocks my mind how these topics were, were on mind 35 years ago. And exactly, if you have inaccurate measures of lab results, you're not going to be able to parse out the genetic variation as well. So disentangling environmental variation and genetic variation requires accurate and consistent testing. 
So that's why it is important for Isaac. Um, I, I love that you're working on this, and that, that's why you know it is important for labs to to measure accurately and consistently. It it, it helps the breeders in the long run. Unfortunately, we may just have to anticipate that there is some measurement error. What I would say is, so for example, Isaac or anyone else studying this, that can be a condition that you try to con control for. So say you were doing, you were going to replicate their study at scale. Well, maybe one of the conditions you could control for would be laboratory. So maybe you, you would just, you'd grow all these plants from seed and clone, and then you'd send them to three or more different laboratories. And then you would just use that as one of your conditions and try to disentangle any measurement error coming from labs, try to disentangle that from your genetic variation. So from a, a cultivator point of view, the measurement error is surmountable, I think. It's not great, but I think you can you can overcome it and you can still do, I think you can still do heritability studies. It, it just it just throws a monkey wrench into things, but you can just account for that. But but Isaac, the, the question at hand. Uh, yeah, uh, just to chime in my uh, two cents on the question. I mean, there are uh, many sources of this uncertainty in measurement. Uh, on one hand, it could definitely uh, it's the most standard just spread of measurement. You measure something exactly the same thing, and you'll get a spread. That's one type, and another type is that there might be uh, lab issues uh, that are just their control samples or their spikes, what's called, is having issues. So it's like their quality control issues. And uh, that might skew their uh, test results, maybe 10% plus or minus, and also their habits of actually measuring it. Uh, it's uh, so there are. Uh, so there is the just natural variation, and second is a variation based on their like reference standard, and the third one it could be based on their uh, method for calculating the area or, or the uh, amount of uh, say THC, and it's only the fourth one is that uh, they might uh, knowingly fudge the number. So there are a lot of uh, sources, and the variations can be attributed to. A combination, right? But uh, in terms of how to get a data set that you can trust, uh, it, it will take a small leap of faith. If that is, you just look at the data. Of, uh, well, for example, the Washington data set, it consists of data from uh, 12 labs, I believe. And just by looking at the, at the say, distribution of their THC measurements and also their mic micro measurements, some labs does have a better or more normal, like naturally occurring distribution than other ones. So if if it's a concern for you that you want to go for reliable data, then perhaps you can filter for the labs that have the best looking distributions. Good points. And this is the, you know, the beauty and the art of statistics. Um, and why stress the, you know, don't you know don't read into things too hard because you know there is a lot of noise so you don't want to lean too much into the noise but and i, I love that this is the way you're thinking noah because this is something that's often overlooked and a good statistician like yourself will hammer this home you know what about measurement error because things like this compound right because your your statistical analysis assumes you know maybe some variation but then if all of a sudden there's other variation that you're not taking into consideration like measurement error um, or other imperfections in the data missing data imputations it just adds to the uncertainty and I, i'll just le leave it there that I, I don't know if you all know but from my understanding you know statistics is the study of uncertainty and so that's that's what we're doing. This is an uncertain topic, and we're just trying to study it and see if we can't glean any knowledge out of it. Let, let's continue on this. I may want to go ahead and conclude this here. Just 
want to be respectful of everybody's time. And we've covered a lot of ground today. And for next week, I'll continue teasing some 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 real fun things out of cannabis history and try to tie them back to the modern day with modern data sets. For example, this, this data set out of Washington State. So lots of cool things coming. And then also, if any of you have projects that you want to embark on, feel free to get in touch and let's keep the conversation going through throughout the week. Because as I said, you know, we're at the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of the cannabis area of research. And there's a, there's a lot to uncover. So I think there's exciting things to come. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for bringing your eyes, your ears, your brilliant minds. Your attention helps advance cannabis research, cannabis science. And so I think if we can help move things forward, even if it's only one molecule at a time, then let's keep at it.